Hello, my lovelies. You are now listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. The intention of this podcast is to empower women through sharing of real life stories. We have a fab lineup of inspiring, kick-ass, real, dedicated women. We're going to get down and dirty. What has made these women successful? What makes them tick? How do they handle conflict? And what might they eat in a day? So here we go. Welcome, April. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. And I am so honored to have you here, April, because you have a story that I think is extremely important Mm -hmm. for women of today to hear, probably even more important now with what is going on in our world and how we are coping with what is going on in our world. And so thank you for coming and being vulnerable and opening up because I, I do believe that your story can and will help a lot of our listeners. So let's dive in. Okay. April is the operations manager for PwC products at PwC Canada, and she is also the vice president of Young Women in Business. And you have a story that many mums may not want to acknowledge due to the sensitivity of it. Uh, However, I believe your story is a harsh reality of what is going on in today's society, being a parent and the pressures of running a household while working and being a wife. And before we begin this journey, share with us a bit about your background, where you grew up. Are you married? Do you have kids? What 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 does it look like? Okay, absolutely. So I was born in Cornwall, Ontario. Uh, my mom was actually from Cornwall and my dad was from England. I'm the oldest child, so I have a younger sister and a younger brother. I moved west to Edmonton when I was nine. I moved to Calgary uh, in 2006 with a friend. I definitely found home in Calgary. Love the city very much. I spent a number of years working for WestJet, actually, and there I met my husband, who's still a pilot and flies for WestJet. We love traveling. Uh, we spend a lot of our free time on the West Coast. Uh, we actually got married in Tofino oh, when we got beautiful. married. I am a mom. I have an eight-year-old son named Kobe. I happily co-parent him with my ex-husband. He is a miniature version of myself, so naturally <laughs> I worry about him a lot. He's a ball of happy energy. Um, and I have a seven-week-old son named Henry. Seven yeah, weeks? Yeah. You so look t- amazing. Oh, like, you. I can't believe you popped out a child seven oh, weeks thank ago. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah, he, uh, he is a butterball. He's already almost 13 pounds. Oh, my he, and he was only seven pounds when he was born. He's, he's doubled his weight <laughs> in seven weeks. That's amazing. Uh, I love pudgy babies. We call him Hank the Tank. So. <laughs> That's great. Um, he's finally started to reward all my sleepless nights with some smiles and kisses. So, yeah. That is amazing. Babies are, I mean, I am out of the baby stage now, but there is something about having a baby oh, in yeah. the house. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just the warmth and uh, love that they bring. Yes. Uh, so, and what a time. Like, you've... Yeah. You had, you've birthed a child in this pandemic and was that, did that all go well for you? Yeah. You know, when I first got pregnant, I found out I was pregnant in February. And to be honest, I was a little concerned because my life is very fast paced. I travel a lot for work. My husband obviously travels a ton. Um, and I was a little concerned to be completely honest about whether I would resent this child a little bit, that I would be having a hard stop and being at home and being isolated and how this would be. And the pandemic has almost been a blessing in that it's really slowed me down in preparation for Henry coming and then now I just 
I bask in those days where I just get to lay with him on my chest and we're just laying around the house. It just, it's easy. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. And so are you working at home right now? Yes. I always actually worked from home. Oh, so my did. team is a virtual team. We're oh. a national team. Yes. Um, and I, for a long time, was the only person in Calgary. We have a couple more team members in Calgary. So hence why I would travel to Vancouver or yes. Toronto. Um, but I always worked from home. So everyone else is finding out my secret, which is working from home is awesome. Oh, so it was a very natural <laughs> yes. uh, progression for you then yeah. not a lot of change not yeah. a lot has changed absolutely so you work for PwC uh, on PwC products so what is what exactly do you do so we actually used to be known as PwC ventures but we've recently rebranded as PwC products so as the name suggests we are PwC's digital product business so we develop software to solve problems for our clients or for the firm itself um, and my role itself is very ambiguous I'm a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades master of none um, I run alongside our director of strategy and we put out a lot of fires together. So under my umbrella, there's a lot, uh, procurement, HR, real estate, financial reporting, um, any liaising between the team, my team and the firm itself. Um, so for someone like me who thrives in chaos, it's actually the perfect job. Um, Myself, personally, my relationship building skills have always been really strong. So this role has really helped me develop my business acumen. It's been really good. Well, I believe that your communication skills are very strong because for our listeners, uh, sometimes people ask me, so how do you find your guest speakers? Oh. And uh, April reached out to me and said, you know, I have a story that is a sad story, but a happy story. And I really believe that my story could help others. Mm -hmm. And I was just so, and she's like, I don't know if, if, you know, this is appropriate or if I should do this. And I'm like, amen, sister, yeah. like way to, way to grab the bull by the yeah. horns. Um, and I, I really love that about you, that you reached out and you're willing to be vulnerable. And so others can learn from mm -hmm. your experiences. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into that, you are also the vice president of Calgary's chapter of Young Women in Business. And so how does this organization foster women, uh, women's growth in business? Yeah, so we are a national uh, team, which is excellent. I think it's really great. We actually have eight chapters across the country. Uh, we started in 2008, and I think that we really bring a holistic approach to uh, professional development for women. So we offer mentorship programs, we have events, uh, networking, we have our high tea event usually every year in November at the Fairmont here. Aww. Unfortunately, I know we couldn't do it this year. It was quite sad not to do it. Um, our memberships actually all put a plug in here quickly are launching this month again for anyone that wants to sign up. Um, but I think, you know, connecting young women with experienced professionals in, in many different industries. So law, real estate, you know, you name it, corporate. We have our presidents actually from ATB Financial. So we have a wide variety of women uh, for young women to connect with. And when we say young women, I mean, Anyone who's not retired is a young woman. Let's yes, be real. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. And so if someone, if, if a woman wanted to get involved, yeah. how would they find you? Uh, we have our website um, or Instagram, LinkedIn, just reach out to us anyway. Uh, our memberships, again, like I said, are launching. You don't even have to be a member to come and be a mentee or a mentor. And we're always looking for more people. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's a little bit about your background mm -hmm. and who you are and where you came from. So let's talk about wine mm -hmm. as your sobriety has, you have been six years sober. Yay. Yeah. Congrats, girl. That's Exciting. amazing. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. 
Well, there is a mummy wine culture out there, and uh, it crept up on you, mm -hmm. and you were a part of this mummy wine culture. So how has alcohol affected your life? And please share with us how your life has been changed for the good, and what did your darkest days look like? Absolutely. Um, I do want to start out by saying that I think when people think of sobriety, obviously there's a stigma associated there, but I also think that there's an idea in one's head of what an alcoholic looks like or someone who has a problem with drinking or what rock bottom would look like for someone. So I know for me, I grew up around an alcoholic and I constantly compared myself to that person and, and you know, thought I would make excuses for how I drank because I thought, well, I'm not that bad because I'm not as bad as that person that I once saw. After all, I never lost anything. You know, I never got a DUI. I never lost a job. I never lost my husband, my kids, anything like that. There were no actual real repercussions yet to my drinking right um i didn't live under a bridge with a brown paper bag and i didn't drink all day so oftentimes i thought how could i possibly have a drinking problem um rock bottom for me was very spiritual i know i spent a lot of time questioning my drinking and i was always the girl when i was young who was the life of the party so when everyone else was responsibly leaving for the night and saying they had enough i was constantly looking for where the after party was and i know once i got married and grew up and i had kids i thought you know this would be this would change obviously you would grow out of it like a lot of it um after I had my son, I definitely found myself with other moms who enjoyed wine. And there's really that narrative that we deserve it, right? Yes. Like we're hardworking moms. We were keeping the house together. Like this is, this is what we deserve. We're busy mommies doing it all. Um, so treat yourself. I found myself pouring wine in the evening and then finishing the entire bottle when my son went to bed. And truthfully, this went on for some time and it was not affecting my life. It really wasn't. It seemed, I, I really felt that I had it under control. Um, then a few bad things happened to me. Two people very close to me passed away and I found I was leaning on wine more than ever. And I was exhausted. I was really, really exhausted. I was spending so much time trying to make sure everything looked okay on the outside so that you wouldn't see how bad things were on the inside if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, on the outside, you know, we were posing for family photos and our house was clean and the kids were clean and everything was great. Um, and on the inside, my marriage was in trouble and I was starting to get really sick and tired of being sick and tired mm -hmm. constantly. I would tell myself that I was gonna take a few days off from wine. Um, and every time I told myself that, I ended up pouring another glass that night. It was just, it was beyond my control at that point. I would rush through bath routine so that I could get to my wine. I remember my husband saying to me a couple times, like, why are you rushing to put him to bed? It's okay. Just let him stay up for a little bit. Let's enjoy this. But I couldn't because I, I couldn't wait to just sit down with my glass of wine. Um, you know, I felt really lonely. I felt really sad. And if you can imagine if you're already feeling tired, alcohol only makes this 10 times worse, for sure. I'll never forget sitting on my front step with a glass of wine one night, though, and I told myself I was going to do it. I was going to quit. And I called my best friend and I told her, I think I'm drinking too much. And she said to me, no, I don't think you do, April, because everyone drinks wine, of course, right? And she said, no, I don't think you do. How much are you drinking? And I said, well, you know, a bottle a night, sometimes two. And she said, Jesus, April. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah, you're drinking too much. So when I quit, I decided that I wasn't 
only going to do this once. I wanted more for my son. I thought he deserved a mother who wasn't rushing through bedtime. He deserved a mother who was really, truly happy and present. But I struggled when I told people I wanted to quit drinking. A lot of my girlfriends would tell me they didn't think that I had a problem. You know, again, we have such an image of people who drink too much and they're people who can't hold down jobs or, you know, they're people who are homeless or I don't know that, you know, people think that having too much Pinot Grigio usually is a bad thing unless you've gone out in public and embarrassed yourself many mm-hmm. times, right? So on the flip side, I don't think I know a lot of people whose lives haven't been touched by someone who drinks too much, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I often like to say uh, that I set fire to my life as I knew it at that time. I had channeled some power that I had deep inside me and I decided to start a new life for myself. So as I got sober, my life really began to change. Um, I felt as though I was being lifted from a fog that the wine had kept me in. I left my ex-husband when I was about nine months sober. Um, It was harder, honestly, than getting sober. Making the decision to leave my ex-husband was the toughest decision I'd ever made, but I was sticking to wanting my son to have a really healthy and happy mother. Um, I enrolled back into university to upscale and I set out to carve out a new path for myself. Um, it was a lot of hard work though, again, because, you know, alcohol is the only drug out there that people think it's strange if you say no, you know? So there was a lot of barriers I found that I had to break down, especially in early sobriety. Um, booze is everywhere. So, it is. Right? Uh, I, I even like, so I don't drink at all. Mm-hmm. I never have. Um, I mean, I've, you know, it's touched my lips, but mm-hmm. very temporary because I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I was out with a girlfriend a number of months ago and we were at an axe throwing event and there was a lot of people there and she held uh, a, a half filled beer can or something, cooler can with water in it because she didn't want the pressure mm-hmm. of people telling her to drink all the time and she said people make you feel really guilty they do and I just I find that so interesting now this is coming from a non-drinker so Mm -hmm. when someone offers me a drink I just I just say oh thank you I don't drink and that's the end of the story yeah people are curious as to why like am I recovering do I just not drink do I not like it um but I hear that when you are a drinker and then you try to stop or try to pull it back it's this guilt that yeah. is thrown on you. Yeah. And I also felt that, you know, I, would I still be invited to things if, yes. you know, yeah. like, do I still get to go to girls wine night and just not drink? Is that still okay? And, you know, I even found when I first met my my husband, my current husband, he was very awkward around me. Like, he was like, can I drink when you're around? Like, is it okay if I have a scotch? Because he can control drinks. So, right. you know, I, um, especially when I first, I mean, it's changed now. I find that there's a lot more options when you do go out to restaurants or you do go to bars because I don't want to just sit there and drink water. I don't. And I don't drink pop and I don't really drink juice. So can I have something cool too? There's actually a gentleman, his name is Ted Fleming and he founded Partake Brewing and they actually have really great different non-alcoholic beers. Now, very early on in my sobriety, I felt pressured to have something in front of me, like you said about your friend. Now, I really don't. I don't care. Yeah, I will. Don't ha- care. I don't care. I'll have yeah. a Perrier. I don't yes. care. I don't feel that pressure. But there, yeah. but there are options out there, which is really nice now, yes. at least for sure. Yeah. Um, I think you know, as I, as I went through these years, I really wanted to 
change who I was too. I think one of the greatest gifts I've been given in sobriety is um, self-awareness, honestly. I couldn't ever find my place in things. Um, even when my ex-husband would tell me he thought I had a problem with drinking, um, I would always be like, I don't have a problem, you're my problem. This is my solution, you know? And, and so for me to not blame other people or you know, see my place in situations, I think has been huge for me both personally and professionally. Um, I love that, you know, going through this, Rachel Hollis has this great quote where she says, maybe you were given this baggage to show other people how it can be unpacked. Mm -hmm. And I often think of my story like that. Like I think, you know, showing that people can change because I believe that people can change. I do too. I do. I think that change is only sustainable though if you really want it for yourself. So you can change for your boyfriend or your husband or wife or whoever. And, and you may change your behaviors for a little while, but I think true sustainable change only comes when you really want to do that for yourself. Otherwise, eventually you will revert back to your old ways, right? Yeah. The, I mean, the neuroplasticity of changing behaviors, going from A to B to A to B, and then all of a sudden wanting to go A to C, it takes a lot, a lot of work and consistency. So finding new coping skills and coping mechanisms I mean it's like building a whole new toolkit so mm -hmm. I armed myself with a psychologist who I still have been seeing for five years now amazing. I, I could not live without her <laughs> she's she's amazing but you know having someone an unbiased opinion I think that it, it really it helps and especially in times like this I said to my husband the other day I can't imagine if I was still drinking during this pandemic oh Oh my gosh. You would just elevate everything going on for the bad. Everything. Because you're so tired. And then, and especially, you know, when your kids are young and, you know, you're up a lot in the night. And like I said, I mean, you're tired and then it makes you sad and makes you more depressed. And then you drink and then, I mean, you lose track of what comes first. Were you depressed first or were you drinking first? Who knows, you know? So what a different probably go around with Henry yeah. than it was with Kobe yeah. when you were you know, still struggled with yes. uh, addiction. Absolutely. And so maybe share with us what that has been like. You're, you're out of this fog and, you know, how, how would you categorize that or classify it as different? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, my psychologist told me when I was pregnant that it was going to be hard for me to have Kobe because it was, or to have Henry rather, because it would bring up a lot of feelings of how I felt, you know, maybe Kobe it was just different with him and I mean I got sober when Kobe was two and so he doesn't have any memories no. of me drinking which is great and a huge part of my sobriety was to make amends to those that I may have hurt while I drank and I you know I remember saying how do I make amends to a two-year-old how do you do that but I do that by staying sober mm -hmm. I do that by being a present a present mom now for yes. him right so there's definitely times where I, I look at Henry and I wish, you know, that I had been way more present for Kobe. But I think, you know, knowing that every memory he's ever going to have of me is is me sober and being present is enough to get me through it. It's, it's definitely been different, though. But as I walked in here, um, I just got a text. My son does not have a phone. He has my old iPhone that works only on Wi-Fi. Yes. But he just messaged me and said, you're going to crush it on your Aww. podcast, Mom. I know. He's That's so proud. So amazing. Yeah, he's eight. Oh, that warms I my know. heart. I know. Yeah. You have his support. Yeah, he's great. So, I mean, he'll never know. But I'm, I'm very honest with him. He knows that I don't drink. And he's surrounded by people who don't drink, which is great. 
So my mother doesn't drink. My stepfather doesn't drink. Um, his, my ex-father-in-law doesn't drink. Like my mother-in-law now doesn't. So there's a lot of people around him. And I've always been honest with him about it. Like mommy doesn't, mommy doesn't drink because I used to drink too much and now I don't like to. And I think having that open dialogue with our kids yes, is important. It's too. so important. Yeah. And so tell us, April, what did your rehab look like? I mean, you saw a psychologist, but I have to imagine there's more than, Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I've never really had a habit outside of biting my nails and I, <laughs> I actually never did kick that. My mom just got fake nails on when I was 13 and I've had them ever since. So yeah. I, I can only imagine how difficult it is to try to remove something from your life that has been such a big part of your life so what did that look like for you you know I found support in other people who were going through similar things and so I did reach out to support groups for that because I found and this is why I'm so vocal about it now because I didn't know anyone else who had been through what I've been through everyone else that I knew supposedly in their own minds has controlled drinking right so to find and I've always I've been very open and honest even on my Facebook about it or to my friends and family about it you know that if anyone ever has an issue they can come and talk to me and I actually have had an overwhelming amount of people come to me and ask me about their own drinking which has been really really great but I had to find people who were similar to me and had been through similar stories as as I had. So again, I worked, I reached out to a support group and I found one woman in particular who's still by my side. And, you know, her story was very similar to mine and she had been sober for quite a number of years. Um, and, you know, having her support and having her walk, mm -hmm. walk me through these things. And, um, you know, it was just, I, I often had to tell myself too, that I was not going to get better in an environment that made me sick. And so changing and removing things from my life was really what I had to do, which was hard. And so did you have to remove people mm -hmm. from your life? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I'd imagine that yeah. was very hard. Probably some close people in your life. Yeah. And I mean, remove myself from situations too. I remember the first event that I ever went to after I quit drinking was the Motion Ball Gala, which is huge here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my support was like, just drive yourself there, have an escape. I brought my girlfriend with me. Um, she's not a big drinker. I knew that if I was like, I want to go now, she'd be like, okay, let's go, you know? So kind of surrounding myself with, with friends that I already had, but maybe friends that had different activities planned. Yes, habits. Then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. People there to support you and pick you up. Yeah. Yeah, if I would have been there with you, I don't because I don't drink. I would have been like, "Girl, we are out of here." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put down that drink. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's amazing because even one of my best friends, when I told her I was quitting drinking, she was so upset. She was bawling. Oh, poor Hannah. She she really she was like, "How did I have no idea? How, I can't believe that we're this close, and I had no idea that you were that sad or that lonely or that isolated, and you never talked to me about it." But I mean, again, there's such a stigma associated with it, and everyone else seemed to be drinking just fine so why you know why would I say anything yeah. to any of the other girls oddly enough a couple of the other girls also have come forward wow. and and quit drinking right so and yeah. so it sounds like today um you have obviously a very different life than you mm -hmm. did you know seven eight years ago and so you are a big advocate um, for sobriety. So share with us, you know, what does that look like? Like, it sounds like you have women now that are coming to you mm -hmm. and asking you for help. And what a, 
what a feel good that must be that you're able to give back in that way. Honestly, when people tell me that I'm inspiring, it's it's still just surreal to me because I can still and and I think it's important that I still remember how it was when I drank. Um, but I think you know I have I have a lot of opportunity in my life, which is great. I I I mean all of us have a platform. If you have social media, you have a platform, That's and right. we we. I mean, it's really up to us to use our voices at this point. Um, there are so many crazy things going on in this world that I think that we can use social media for good. So that's one way that I really make sure that I'm vocal about what's happening. I've been honored to have the opportunity to speak at the women's shelter as well and share my experience, strength and hope there, as well as at a treatment center on multiple occasions. So really cool when I get to do that, share my story. And that's really all I do is, is share my story and what I've been through and have other moms come up to me and say, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, I hear my own story in your story. So often I remember it's not, it's not even about me or, you know, me sharing this to get this off my chest. It's really to show other people that they're not alone mm -hmm. we're not alone and that mummy wine culture is real yeah. and it's a thing yeah what are the guidelines that deems one an alcoholic and I ask this because many parents likely have a problem but they don't look at it that way similar mm -hmm. to what you did so what deems an alcoholic um, I do. I always hate this question <laughs> because <laughs> I've had so many people ask me to speak to their mother, sister, brother, friend, you know, you name it to see if I think they have a drinking problem. But my best advice to anyone is to try and set yourself a limit. So see if you can stick to it. If you can't, then chances are that you probably have a problem. So if you tell yourself you're going to have one, but you find yourself constantly having three, or if you tell yourself, I'm not going to drink tonight, and then you end up drinking again, then chances are, you know, you may not be in control That's anymore. That's great really. advice. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important when you think of a loved one or anyone else to, to remember, it's so important to remember that you can't make someone else see that they have a problem mm -hmm. if they don't see that. And you can't help anyone else if they don't want to help themselves. Yeah. Great advice. And what advice can you give parents who are indulging just to take the edge off? So I would really encourage anyone to take a look at why they are drinking. So are you drinking because you're sad? Are you self-medicating? Are you drinking to numb? Uh, there are a lot of signs that you may not be drinking for healthy reason reasons. Because it's funny, there's always that narrative though. A bad day, have a drink. Give That's a good right. day, have a drink. So I mean, if you can replace it with healthy coping mechanisms. So I personally love exercise as my release now. There's nothing better than to put on music blaring in my ears and taking off into a run. <laughs> um, I do my best thinking when I'm running or walking or on a long drive. Um, another thing to think of though as a parent is that your kids are watching. Right? So, so true. our they're kids like are little, oh my gosh. Sponges. Yes. And they're listening too. They're listening. I'm often on the phone talking, thinking that my son's not listening. I get off the phone. He goes, and he'll bring up something that I said. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot you were listening. I, I shouldn't have said that, you know? So I saw, I know I was sharing with you guys before we started recording. I saw a t-shirt in the mall recently that said, I can't wait to drink till I can drink with my kids instead of because of them. Oh you know, gosh, and I just, horrible. it's creating that's that this acceptable yep. wine drinking culture within the home. It's a really unhealthy narrative. So we need to think about the message that mommy needs wine is sending 
to women. So this means mom needs wine to handle the chaos of raising kids or that moms can only socialize over wine or that wine can solve the problems of motherhood, which is hard, right? And none of these things are true, but the ramifications can be really serious. So I found a study in 2017 published in the JAMA Psychiatry Journal that revealed that between 2002 and 2013, the number of women who demonstrated problem drinking, so this includes alcohol abuse and dependency, which is the inability to quit it's soared by 85 percent so let's let that sink in that's scary oh my gosh right so women are far less likely to admit to their problem drinking but we have no filter when it comes to our stress yeah right and it's acceptable because the more that we're expected to have it all together to do it all so the more hours you give to your job the more you drink the more depressed you are the more you drink or is it the more you drink the more depressed you become they're so tangled up it's hard to tell which one came first so as i said i think the best thing that anyone can do really is try limiting yourself so even just try for the weekdays Mm -hmm. you know you get into this routine with any habit the more you do it the easier it is and the more automatic it becomes but when you do the math it can be alarming so i know for myself when I would sit back and think, okay, so, well, I only have like three or four glasses a night, but that's, that's 28 drinks in a week. Like that's, that's That's classified as alcohol abuse. It really is, you know? And I mean, we don't think of it, but especially during COVID. And I mean, we're all at home. We're isolated. A lot of our coping mechanisms or the normal things that we would do are taken away. Gyms are gone. Bar classes gone. Pilates, yoga, you name it. I mean, I find a lot more people are leaning on wine. Mm -hmm. And so um, someone that I know who was in recovery passed away this year. Uh, drank themselves to death and then I also read actually last night while I was breastfeeding in the middle of the night (laughs) I was reading our um, global news anchor Gord have you read do you know him I was reading about him his son passed away this year the two weeks before his 26th birthday he'd been struggling with alcohol abuse silently for a while and um you know, he was, he was in the news. It was a, a great article that he was actually openly speaking about it. And it was just funny because I was coming here today and I was reading, thinking of that poor family because his son was alone yeah. at home, you know, medicating. Because, and we really have to check in on people these we days. Do. We do. Loneliness, I think, is, yeah. one, is going to be one of the biggest killers because loneliness leads to yep. dependency on other and medicating. and medication. And yeah. You know, I had a great chat with my girlfriend the other night who um, lives by herself. And I said, you know what, anytime you need somebody, like, I'm here for you. And she'll take me up on that. Mm-hmm. She's, But she lives alone. She's, you know, my age. And, and all of these ways to socialize are, are being taken away from her for a, a reason. It's yes. not like a woo is me. It's there is a reason why. Yeah. It just doesn't make it any easier for the yeah. people that are alone. I mean, I'm lucky I have a husband and two kids, so I can be kept busy all night yeah. every weekend. <laughs> yeah. um, but for the people that are alone, it's easy to fall into yeah. wine, pills, addiction. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me, even, you know, when I was drinking, I would, my husband played hockey lots, my ex-husband, and he'd be gone out or he'd be golfing or whatever it was. And if I was at home alone, I would call a girlfriend and we'd have a glass of wine over the phone, right? So I, I think often of people who are probably doing that now. And again, my girlfriends never thought I had a problem because they would also have one glass yes. on the phone with me. And then that was it yes. for them. And then I would hang up the phone and turn on the bachelorette and keep, keep drinking, keep drinking yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And so you have become an advocate for sobriety and women supporting women, which I absolutely love and admire. 
what will be your legacy? So this was a hard question because I'm still so young. I'm like, I'm only 33. There's so much left to do. Um, I asked a coworker this for help answering this question. I'm like, what is my legacy? She told me um, that I am the Energizer Bunny. And that will, <laughs> <laughs> and that will be my legacy. Um, but really, you know, last year I did an exercise, uh, Brene Brown exercise in the Dare to Lead book, where you dig into your true core values. And let me tell you, it is hard to find out what your two, you could only pick two. The list was huge. So, you know, two things that I really live into every single day and that really drive my being and I found my two were hope and making a difference so you know making a difference in every interaction that I have is something that's so important to me I really have worked hard to create at work especially um, you know a psychological safe space where people feel that they can be vulnerable um, the role that I had at PwC before I had this one uh, was great I managed a team of 15 women which was fantastic and we were like this little family and I created this happy little bubble um, my boss used to call it Care Bear Land and we would all share our feelings all she'd say you guys braiding your hair today at work or what it are you doing a little pleasant film. Yes. <laughs> yeah it was it was really fantastic but I think you know having that space whether you work with a ton of women or not where people do feel that they can be open and honest is really important and I want to leave that behind that women feel that they can support other women in that way um, um, I think right now everyone moving to work from home is really great because we're bringing a little more humanity into work so people are seeing more you know kids running in the background Screaming. or exactly <laughs> you know uh, I like my boss calls them her mini associates um, so I you know we're we're bringing a lot of that and I think um, I saw an email came out at work, even though I am on mat leave, um, an email came out where everyone manager and up is having to do mental health training right now to really oh, identify so that. Important. So wow, fantastic. I love that they're doing that. Absolutely. For them to be able to identify it, how to help with people, because I think we, we need to have that space. So mm-hmm. I've often encouraged that for years, and I love seeing that come into the workplace right now. Yeah. April, what do you vow? So what have you promised to yourself in life? today, moving forward, five years ago, six years ago, whatever that looks like, what have you vowed or promised to yourself moving forward? Um, I think it goes back to that values exercise. So for me, I have to be centered in hope. So even, you know, before we had Henry, we were on a long infertility journey. Um, I could have another whole podcast on infertility, honestly. But, you know, I think I promised myself that I would always hang on to hope. So my husband and I, in the summer, we had a really long discussion about hope, uh, trying to figure out, like, does hope need to have fear in order to exist? Can it exist on its own? Do you have to be unhappy with your current circumstances in order to be centered in hope? And I don't really see hope as good or bad. Um, What it is for me is a coping mechanism, uh, a life raft that I cling to when there's situations that are out of my control, which are most situations, honestly. And my thought is always the same, that I hope things turn out okay in the end so I think you know as long as I vow to have hope as the fuel that keeps me propelled I'll continue to be successful in everything I do oh I love that April Mm -hmm. that's very profound (laughs) yeah and I love that you and your husband talked about hope yeah that's so healthy and what great communication yeah really dig into that let me tell you going through hard stuff though together I mean that's really what brings you closer together so I think 
you know, we had a miscarriage um, a couple years back, and I remember someone saying to me, this is going to be a defining point in your marriage. It's like, well, when we lost a child, we blank, right? Like, did we get closer together? Did it pull us apart? Did, you know, did we break down? And I think often just being open and communicating everything that's on my mind. And I think the fact that both of us were divorced <laughs> really helped because we, yes. we learned from we that, you know, that together. Yes. And you really could sympathize yeah. and feel each other emotion through that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now we always like to, um, spotlight a charity of choice and, uh, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine mm. you have probably a few of them. I do. I definitely do. If I had to pick one, I would have to say the women's shelter, okay. um, especially right now. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but domestic abuse rates have risen this year during COVID by 60%. Oh um, so I was recently on the website, actually, and you can go to the website and there's a quick escape button. If you need to hit and leave it, it'll direct you right to Google and close the page you were on, which is great, keeping women safe that way um, but they do have that toy mountain drive going on right now so Kobe oh, and I this? yes so Kobe and I went to Walmart this week and I let Kobe pick out one toy from him and one for Henry we ended up leaving with four toys of course um, and you can donate them there if you go to the women's shelter website right now there's a ton of drop-off locations all over the city Amazing. and they're collecting things for children this year so they are very busy at the women's shelter as you can imagine right now um, they also have a lot of support programs there for women in recovery which is fantastic so I would highly recommend I mean it's a cool thing to do with your kids too like Absolutely. you know our children are very privileged and so I mean if we haven't lost our jobs and you know we have the ability to go do so go pick up a toy and, and explain to them that it can go to another kid who may not have one this year Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, it's a great community involvement and mm -hmm. a great organization. And it's something really easy that we can all do. And I am going to take part in that. Yes, I'm going Excellent. to uh, take my daughters to Walmart or Superstore. I yep. think we can still do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, we can. Uh, they love toys. So yes. picking out a toy uh, yeah. is going to be fun. So thank you for that. And, yeah. And April, thank you for being here today and sharing your story and how vulnerable you were to reach out. I can tell that it's something that you're really passionate about mm -hmm. is sharing your story. And I believe that that's the biggest part of growth is vulnerability. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. For of course. Being thank here. you so much for having me. voice of women. We truly hope that you've enjoyed today's speaker. We hope that they've inspired you, made you think outside the box, and given you some points that you can apply to your everyday lives. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us. If there's any suggestions you can make or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.